0: Well, good afternoon, RRC. Good morning. Good It's Good morning. Good today we week on week two of Good Christmas series entitled "Humble King." Week two of three. So last week, Kelly-Ann kicked us off with a message looking at unity. Today, the focus will be on humility. It's actually one message. It's a continuation of last week's message and just a preamble of a Christmas message. So, if we have your Bibles, you can open to Philippians 2. We'll be reading from verse 1 to 11. Or you can uh, just look in your screens. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. As we go deeper into this word, Lord God, we pray for your revelation. May you reveal it to us in a new way. I pray, Father God, that even as I speak, may you enable me, may you stand with me, Lord God. I pray for courage as I speak your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are looking at two verses only. And that's why we are spending most of our time. We we'll look at verse 3 and verse 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I think it was important that we read the whole section. We read verse from verse 1 to 11 to get a bigger picture. Because when you look at these two verses I was thinking they looks like, like a hammock. If you can have a picture of a hammock on the screen, there's a hammock. That's not me lying there, but just a picture I found on the internet. <laughs> so, a hammock is suspended on two anchors on this side and that side. The same thing it is to verses. To understand it clearly, we have to understand verse 1 to 3 and verse 5 to 11 for these words to make sense. Otherwise, if you're not looking, Because the, the verses, they start with Jesus, and they end up with Jesus. If you're not looking at these verses, my preach here will just be a motivational speech. I'll be just giving rules and regulations, because there won't be Jesus in it. But you need to understand the whole picture. You know, when I started looking at these two verses, it was a daunting task, because I thought, you know what, how can I pull a message, and there's two small verses, how can I preach a big, how can I preach a whole message on these verses? But when I started reading, and praying, and reading some literature, I soon realized that, you know what, you can actually write a book on these two verses, and I was getting confused. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to keep this message short and simple, and I'll leave the sweet part out, because I don't know if it's going to be a sweet message. So today, we'll look at five points. Five points, we're going to look at five points. We're going to look at selfishness of self-centeredness. We're going to look at pride. We're going to look at humility, selflessness, and we'll end off with a humble king. So let's begin. Last week we looked at unity amongst us as as believers. And in, in these preceding verses, Paul was telling us that if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit and affection and the sympathy, we must then have unity in mind, unity in love, and unity in purpose. I think the big question is how. How do we do that? And I believe that these verses that you're looking at today, it gives us the answer. They give us the answer of how to do that, how to be united in love and purpose and in mind. let's start like, almost like a command, it's almost like Paul is commanding us, it says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The word nothing comes from a Greek word, medes, excuse my, my Greek, but it means not even one, no one. So Paul is giving us no room for compromise. Not even a hint of selfishness. So let's look at selfishness. There are many definitions of selfishness that you, that you can find. There are many, even on the internet, you can find a lot of, of, of definitions. But I like this one. Which says, selfishness is an ordinate or excessive self-love. Prompting one for the sake of personal gratification or advantage. To disregard the rights or feelings of other men. This word came from the word eretheia, which came from slave labor in a way. The guys were hiring people and abusing them uh, for, the, for self gain, working long hours with no disregard of their comfort. And their main purpose was self-serving and self-pleasing. This is where this word came from. And even today, just as it was back in the day, we still have people like that who are self-serving and self-pleasing. Selfishness is a Problem of a fallen man who is totally wrapped up in himself, thinking that they don't need God, that they can be fully self-dependent. This verse it commands us to do nothing, or to do not to do anything, or attempt anything as a mere result of selfishness, or to form no plan out of self-centeredness. Everything we do, we must do it by principle. When we glorify our Father, we must not do anything, we must not attempt to do anything from our talent, to show how talented we are, to show how courageous we are, to put ourselves first, but we must do something Whatever we do, we must do it in principle of glorifying, glorifying the Father. You know, today, in, uh, even, in, even in church, in Christian denominations, people are fighting each other. People want to know who's the greatest. People want to know who's better than who. There are preachers today who are no longer preaching the, the Great Commission, but they are preaching their mission. People are preaching themselves. People are preaching a man of God. There are people who leave local churches not looking for, for the gospel, but looking for a man. Because people are not preaching the message anymore. Some people. But they are preaching themselves. Even amongst the saints, amongst ourselves, how often do we compare ourselves with others? Trying to be better. Better in the way we dress, in the way we speak, in the way we do things, putting our best foot forward. We live in an era of social media where it's all about look at me, look at what I've accomplished, look at what I've done. It's all about self. We spend countless hours in gyms, some people running, just trying to look to improve our self-image. You know, some of these things are not wrong per se, but the key word for me is excessive. Excessive self-love. Because it's not wrong for you to love yourself, to love your body, but excessive is the key word for me. Once self-love is excessive, then that is selfishness. Self is is doing something thinking of what I'm going to get in return. If I help you, what I'm going to get? It's all about self-gain and self-nourishment. Church, it is clear that for us to be united, for unity to be amongst us as a church, we must not be selfish because unity will be difficult if each of us are self-centered or selfish. Do nothing out of selfish ambitions or vain conceit. Let us look at the second point. You know, I had to go, actually I didn't know this, I do not know this word, so I had to go back to the dictionary again and look at this word, conceit. What does it mean? I've read this verse so many times and just browsed through it, but I never fully understood it. So I like this, also, this, this, this uh, this explanation. Conceit, it is excessive pride in oneself. Excessive pride. Vain conceit comes from the word kenodoxia, which means vain glory, empty praise, hollow opinion, all describing essence which has an appearance but it lacks reality. It describes a person who is proud without reason, who has highly exaggerated self-view. People are ambitious in their own reputation, challenging others and willing to fight to prove the point. No matter what. Don't you know people like that? There seem to be a desire to honor ourselves with pride. To attract attention to ourselves. To win praise. To make, our, to make ourselves the uttermost, and the foremost, and the main object. This command here, yeah, it forbids us for being like that. To do anything, not to do anything with that aim in mind. For us to elevate ourselves to pride. Even Colossians 5 verse 26 warns us that let us not become conceited. Let us, not be, let us not become proud, provoking, provoking one another and envying one another. Church, it's hard to be a united people when we are a prideful people. We cannot be united if we have a pride in ourselves. You know, it's, it's difficult to, to reason with a prideful person. Because they always think that their point is right. They cannot be teachable and they, are not co- they cannot be corrected because even if they are wrong, it's difficult for them to apologize and say, you know what, I'm sorry. Because no, pride wouldn't let them, even if they want to, but because they are up there. You know, pride, it takes away Jesus as the center and it puts ourselves the center of our universe. We become the center of our universe when we are prideful people, and pride makes difficult for people to relate to us, it's difficult to engage with a prideful person, it's difficult to relate with a prideful person. And if we are prideful, it will be difficult to relate with people of different classes than us. Because we feel like, you know what, we we, we don't mix. Because you are up there. Pride, it elevates you and puts you in a pedestal. And you look at everyone else below you. And you feel like you are superior. And other people are inferior than you. And it pushes people away from, from you. It destroys relationships. Pride destroys relationships. It is difficult to maintain a relationship with a prideful person, most especially in the church, we cannot be united if there is pride in us. So what is the antidote or the remedy for this selfishness and pride? I believe that verse 2 even gives us an answer. When Paul says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I like that this verse didn't say, but count others above yourselves. But it said, in humility. And that's a key word for me. In humility, count others above yourselves. Humility, that's a key word. And that's a message for today. The message today is about Humility. Maybe you thought the message was about selfishness and pride or conceit. No, the message is about humility. And humility is the quality of having a modest or low view of one's importance. I think Kellyanne described it beautifully last week. It's having a modest view of one's importance. Some of the synonyms that are found were modesty, Humbleness, meekness, and lack of pride. And it's the complete opposite of what we're talking about selfishness and pride. It's a complete opposite. For us to be delivered from selfishness and pride, we need to embrace humility. I like the description by C.S. Lewis who said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not undermining yourself. Humility doesn't mean that you have to degrade yourself. But you just have to think of yourself less. And the Warren said, humility is not denying your strength, but accepting your weaknesses. God gave us some strengths to excel in. And if we, are, if we have humility, it doesn't mean we have to deny those strengths. But we have to accept that we have weaknesses. you know john wesley described that the romans and the greeks they never had they never had the word humility because the, the concept to them of humility didn't exist they had to bore away from somewhere because it was foreign to them the word humility the concept of humility was foreign to them it was used in a derogatory way describing non-christians as servants not in a good way. But for us, the word humility is not a derogatory term. But it's estimating ourselves according to the truth. That we are creatures and there is a creator. We were created by God. It's understanding that first, that we are all sinners and we are all in need of a savior. If we are humble, or if we possess humility, we are more likely to be teachable. We are more likely to be correctable. We'll understand that not only our way is right, not only our point must be proved right, but it makes us be able to even seek counsel from others. And humility makes it easy for people to relate to us, which is total opposite of pride. You know, people can relate better to a leader who is humble. To a leader who is willing to learn from the people that is leading. Humility makes it easy for a leader to be approachable. You know, it is difficult to keep unity Amongst us, from different backgrounds, different cultures, different walks of life, it's difficult to keep unity if we're not humble. Because humility, it yields tolerance towards one another. To accept that though we're different, but we're actually the same. God creates us the same. Though we come from different background, but when we humble ourselves and understand that we are the same, we are all the children of a, of a living God. Maybe you thought the message was about humility, but actually the message is still about unity. I told you when we started that it's a continuation of last week's message. That for us to be united, church to be united. As believers, we need to be humble. We need to possess humility in us. Humility affords us, affords us to count others better than ourselves. And that, 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 that concept is foreign to us, it's difficult to comprehend unless we allow the Holy Spirit to help us to do that, to count other people better than ourselves. Because that is a total opposite. Of selfishness. Total opposite. Because selfishness and pride makes us think that you are the main subject, you main object. But Paul said, No, count others better than yourselves, than what humility does. Because it shows it shows yourself that you're not better than anyone else. Let's move on to selflessness. Selflessness. Verse four says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You know, you can summarize, you can summarize this verse by just three words. Be not selfish. Be not selfish. Don't let your care or attention be wholly ab- absorbed by your own concerns or the concerns of your family. But you must show tender interest to other people's happiness as well, to other people's well-being as well, not only to our own selves and families. We must have concern for other people's welfare. We must strive to do good for other people as well. You know, this verse is an antidote of selfishness. That we, have, we must have other people's best interest as well. Not only our best interest, but as a church, I need to know that you've got my best interest at heart. You need to know that I have your best interest at heart. We must not strive for our own happiness only, we must not strive. We must not strive for our own success only, but we must strive for happiness of other people as well. We must strive for happiness of other people as well. So, what does this what does this look like in a church? I believe that we need to feel the spiritual interest of everyone. That is also our own interest as well. Each of us in the church is entrusted with a position of honor for the whole church. And the conduct of one member affects us all. So we need to promote in every way welfare for every member of our church. If they go astray, we need to admonish them. If they're in error, we need to instruct them if they're in trouble, we need to aid them. And everyone in our church who needs empathy and sympathy, we need to give it to them. We should not be a church that is self-absorbed. We should not be a church that only looks at our own affairs, but our eyes must be open. We must be a selfless church. And there are other people that we need to show inter- special interest for. Like the poor, the fatherless, the widows, the afflicted, to mention but the few. Those people, they are shy and modest to seek for help. And we as a church, we need to actively look for those people and show kindness in them. We need to actively look for them Especially in this time, there are people in our church who have very little, and we can extend our hand to them. That we are one family. That no one must be in need when we are one church. I also believe that we must be mindful of an unbeliever, especially a people are. Some are visiting us for the first time, some are non believers, we invite non believers to church, and we should be mindful of them. And we should lead them to a savior. We should point them to a savior. Because a non believer, he is blind and he will not come himself to the savior. He's unconcerned and he will not seek salvation. but he needs us to inform him of his ways that he needs a savior. We need to be mindful of those people, to share the gospel of those people. We're about to bring this message to a close. I didn't say it's a short message. I believe that selflessness and looking at other people's interest, it doesn't mean the following. Number one, It doesn't mean improper interference in the business of others. We still need to respect other people's personal lives or secrets. You know, every man has their own plans and thoughts and intentions. And we shouldn't be meddlers in their business sometimes. We should do it in a caring way, not to force ourselves in people's businesses. And we should not impose or force our advice where it's, it's not sought or needed. If someone didn't ask for your advice, don't, don't, don't force it. You can say it lovingly. But it's not loving to force your advice in other people's businesses. We must do it lovingly. And we're not to find fault with what pertains exclusively to others. You know, there are people who always find fault with other people. We're in a period where people are self-indulging, you know, they're eating a lot, and it's not the right to just come to someone and say, hey, you've lost so much weight, you must lose weight. It's, it's not uh, it's not loving. It's not your, you know, you're you, you, you not have your best interest at heart by doing that. You're not loving by doing that. That's their concern. I'm just leave it as it is. You know, some people are coming to me and like, hey, you have grown beard. When are we cutting it? I'm like, <laughs> like, no, you know what? My beard, my face. That's it. <laughs> I know it will take just, it will take, it will take just one wait from my wife, and then the fun will be over. But, anyways, I will enjoy it while it lasts. So we we, shou- we shouldn't. If if someone is dressed in a way that you, you, you possibly don't like, you, you don't have to go to them, and that, that's not that's not that's not loving. So whatever we do, when we have people's best interests at heart, we must do it lovingly. And we must not gossip about other people's concerns. We must not take people's domestic affairs and and divulge them. Then the whole world will know. But we must respect other people. So when we look at other people's concerns, we must do it with utmost delicacy, with utmost respect. When you go visit someone who's in the hospital, go there and support them lovingly. Don't pry on a diagnosis. Now, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? No, if you want to tell you, they will tell you what's wrong with them. If you visit someone who's in prison, Who's been arrested for something, go there lovingly. Don't get or don't go with a judgmental heart. They've already been judged already. Go there lovingly. If people lay choose to disclose to us and make us our confidence, then that will be it. But we shouldn't force our way in. Selflessness. Putting other people first. Lastly, humble king. Humble king. I think we're about to we're about to pray. Let's let us all stand as we look at this last verses. You know these two verses, they are two small verses, but I'm sure we've seen that there's so much in them. And I haven't done much justice to speak about them as they are. There's a lot that can be said about these two verses. It feels even daunting. That how can we be like this? Can we be a humble, selfless people? But I believe that it's possible through Jesus. As I said before, that this message, these two verses, anchors on Jesus on both sides. It's possible to live in unity. Doing nothing from a selfish ambition of conceit, but considering others in humility better than ourselves. There is no other person who ever modeled humility and selflessness like Jesus did. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you thought this message was about unity and humility, no, this message is about Jesus. It's about the humble king. He modeled humility. He modeled selflessness. And he showed us that this is possible. I will not go deeper into these verses, but I invite you to join us as we look deeper to this humble king on Christmas morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for, for this challenge. Thank you for this call of unity amongst us as saints as believers. Thank you for this call of being humble people. Thank you for this call of looking at other people's interest as well. Thank you for Jesus that you modeled this for us. Thank you, Father God, that you led the way. Thank you that you showed us that this is possible. That you can live like that. I wanna glorify you, I wanna give you praise. We want to say thank you, thank you for showing the way. We give you praise. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here in this room today who heard this message. I pray that we make it our personal challenge to live like you did, to be selfless people, to be humble people, so that you can be united in love and mind. We give you praise, we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.